Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good friend Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Really well. Uh, wrapping up the week here, and I'm taking some time off next week, so I've got a little mini vacation if you tack on the weekend, so I'm really looking forward to uh, the end of the day. How's that sound? And I know you've got a week off coming. Yeah, I'm taking the whole week off, uh, oh. so we're actually recording this a week before we're going to publish it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I am like you. I, I wouldn't say I'm doing really well. I think I'm doing moderately well. Um, which is why I'm looking forward to the time off so much. Um, so hopefully I can get to really well by the end of the week. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, we're getting, it's, it's been a long year. It's that time of the year yeah. before, before the holidays start, and it's a good time to kind of regroup. Well, it's just going to be bang, bang then. Like, I'm out next week, and then the week after that is Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving's super early this Pretty year. Pretty early. Does it seem like it? Yeah, and so I, I was thinking it was the week after that, and was actually surprised when my mom gave me a call to say, oh, we're having Thanksgiving next, you know, on the 22nd. And I was like, what? Really? Okay. We'll be there, I guess. <laughs> were, were you like, is it just you having Thanksgiving on the 22nd? Because the rest of the country is the week after. <laughs> yeah, I kind of was thinking that. But no, no it was, uh, yeah, she, she surprised she me. She got the date right, yeah. Yeah, yeah she got the date right. So we'll be there. But uh yeah, so you're right about that. Well, it'll be December before you know it, and with few work days if we're both taking some time off in between. So yes, I'll see my daughter next week, so I'm excited. I'm gonna drive up to uh, Vermont to see her. Haven't seen her since I took her to school. Olivia, who's been a guest on Volley, so uh, I haven't seen her since August. So we're gonna go up, give her give her a couple day visit, take her out to dinner with her friends. They always like that since they claim that all they've eaten is spaghetti for the last three months. So, um, <laughs> so it'll, it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to see Kate, uh, the week after she's going to come home for Thanksgiving. Oh, nice. Um, so kind of a quick trip, you know, especially to be a cross country flight, but it'll be pretty good to see her. Yeah. I bet. Especially cause she's a freshman. So it's kind of cool that you get to see her at Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'm home. So today for Volley, we got our hands on some work that our board of directors had done at their last meeting. And I think that some other parts of CompTIA are looking at uh, these documents as well, and and some things might get published. But I think for us, it gives us some good talking points. Uh, the, The work that they did was an exercise around what makes a successful vendor and what makes a successful managed service provider. So obviously, we've talked about this before. A lot of our membership is within what has been called the IT channel. So it's either vendors that are producing products or managed services providers or value-added resellers that are reselling and added services around them and uh, getting all those products into the end user's hands. So within CompTIA, we're very interested in that topic. And as I was taking a look at these documents, just a couple things jumped out to me that uh, I thought we could talk through and highlight kind of what goes into the change that's happening now, which we've mentioned several times on on the podcast within all these firms that are dealing with products and technology. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is some good information and, you know, a lot to think about. And we're in sort of a a period of flux, I think, in the industry right now. So a lot of these best practices um, are still valid today. But as we move into 
um, an era that's more about emerging tech and more about um, MSPs taking more ownership of their own businesses and being less reliant on vendors. And there's a whole bunch going on right now that make a docu- make sort of a, a bullet list of best practices like this just a, a moving object, basically. You can, uh, and I think there's a lot, a lot here that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we were starting kind of at the top of this food chain with the vendors. The board, as they went through this, they kind of defined different stages of maturity. Uh, So as a vendor is building out their channel program and as they really get to an advanced level with that, they would move through these stages. And, And to me, actually, something jumped out in the very first stage. So they have a bullet point in there about understanding the needs and challenges of end users, which has probably always been a really critical component. But you mentioned the flux that we're going through. And I think today... That becomes a really interesting component because vendors have so much more capability than they've had in the past to directly reach that end user. So if a vendor is really doing a lot around understanding the needs and challenges of end users, that might lead to them going more directly to those end users. And there's a bullet that I almost wonder if it shouldn't be in here because the whole framework is around the assumption that a vendor is building out the, the partner program. But there should probably be a bullet in there about explicitly thinking through direct and indirect if they think that they want to have both of those models under their roof. Yeah, it, it is interesting. In our cloud as a service world, we do see, and we, you've, we've seen this on all the studies that we've done, is that it is much easier for end customers to procure whatever they need application-wise in particular uh, directly from a vendor, or you, they're doing it online, which is essentially coming directly from a vendor and they're doing self-provisioning. So yeah, you're right. The, the, the vendor needs to sort of establish what sort of go-to-market strategy they have. And for the majority of very large vendors, it's a hybrid approach. They'll have an indirect channel and they'll also have a direct sales force that's doing both. And I think I agree. I think that that is sort of a, a missing bullet item here. It is important, though, for vendors to understand the needs of, of those end users, end users, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they will not then use a MSP or other channel provider to directly serve that end user, but it helps the vendor on the back end tailor their offerings, tailor their services, make sure that uh, they are positioning them correctly, and then helping educate the partner that they work with to do the same. So they may have more resources to do customer intel, so to speak, on the vendor side, and then pass that on to their partners who then will be set up properly to be able to serve those customers. You put it in a great way to say that the go-to-market strategy and then maybe the ongoing support strategy. I think we see this a lot with these emerging vendors uh, that are pursuing things that haven't been a traditional IT product. They have a product that they like. Maybe they've gotten funding for that. They've done some amount of user testing, and now they're faced with getting it out into the market, and they don't always know exactly how to do that or, or what they want to do, or especially as they're expanding, they don't know how to do that. And so thinking through the go-to-market strategy and the ongoing support strategy is what will define exactly how they would use a, a partner network or some kind of network of of firms that can help that vendor with the product or service that they're trying to build and distribute. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of upfront thought that has to go into this. And we, especially as we're seeing some of these smaller uh, new companies, new entrants, uh, SaaS players in particular, get into into our industry. 
uh, they're starting small as any startup does and typically then they're just using their own sales reps to go to market but as they try to grow they quickly realize that it's uh, they'll never be able to hire enough sales reps and, and, and be able to afford them to uh, reach the customers that they're trying to get to and, and as they continue to grow their revenue. And so that's when the indirect channel comes in. And right now, I think with some of those newer vendors, we're in a stage where they're not entirely sure how to engage with the indirect channel and they're not entirely sure when they do, what are the things that that channel is looking for in terms of resources and incentives and, and a partner program, as you mentioned. Um, so I think for newer vendors, we're, we're definitely in a stage where they're, they're learning. It's nascent right now. And then for older vendors, you know, established vendors, I shouldn't say older, that's not nice, um, established vendors, um, they need to take into consideration just sort of the way the business models are changing among the uh, among the channel and how, the you know, when we talk about customers, understanding that the channel is getting closer to many end customers. So a lot of MSPs today, they are the liaison to the customer and a lot of times in an MSP model, the customer doesn't even know the, who the vendors are on the back end because a lot of what the technology that they are using within uh, within their company is in the cloud and the MSP is managing that or it's on-premise, but the MSP is still managing that. So their face um, of, you know, the face to them who's their provider is really the MSP. And I think a lot of established vendors were not used to that. It always was the vendor, even if the, even if the MSP was was the lead dealing with the customer they led with the vendor message and now they're more leading with an MSP message. So is that something that jumped out to you on that list? Because that sounds like uh, a later stage of maturity with building out a partner network and understanding how to work with those partners as they are the, the face to the, to the end customer. Yeah, I think I, I think that that very much so. I mean, some of the things that jumped out to me are all the way down on stage three here that the that the board has come up with about some of the characteristics that would augment the vendor's current positioning with the partners that they work with. You know, the ability to co-sell with partners. I found that kind of interesting, and I put a little asterisk around it because that's something that partners have been beating the drum about. Is they they thought you know having a vendor sales rep at their side when they go in and try to. Um, drum up new business would be a benefit. But interestingly, what I see more now, and so I'm interested why they put this on the list, because that used to be a big deal. And now what I'm seeing is many MSPs do not want a vendor to tag along with them. They want to be the face to the customer. And they want to own that customer. They want to be the one who bills that customer. And, and they don't need the vendor necessarily to help them close a deal. Uh, and and so you know I bet there are still a lot of MSPs that maybe would like the 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 vendor to go in with them, but I'm seeing more and more it's about owning your own brand and owning that customer yourself. So I think that's part of the flux I'm talking about. I think that may be more of a old way of doing things rather than a new way of doing things. Uh, and that one jumped out to me. That's interesting. I you know I I can imagine as you're talking that that makes it much more complex for the vendor because they may have some partners that are still looking for this co-selling. They may have some partners that are not. And so maybe in a world where most of their partners used to be looking for it, it was uh, something that they could devote a large set of resources to. Now they've got that set of resources that still needs to be thinking about this co-selling activity, but they also somehow have to support the the partners that don't want it as much. Uh, And so it's a little tricky. It is. 
So on another, there's another thing that jumped out at me on uh, stage two that I wanted to talk about, which is a little bit of a, it's a little bit off what we're talking about now, but it's around security. And, and this is an area that you know quite a bit about, Seth. But one of the must-haves uh, that um, a vendor should, uh, that a vendor needs to have in their, in their wheelhouse and a partner will expect is that they have a security line. And I think that's interesting because we've talked extensively about how security should not be in a silo anymore. You're just, you're a security vendor. In fact, security has to be part of every type of vendor's offerings as a wraparound or as a primary offering, whatever it happens to be. But it's, it's almost a prerequisite now that security factors into no matter what kind of vendor you are, it factors into what you need to do. And partners are expecting that. They don't want to have to deal with an application vendor who doesn't factor in security whatsoever, and so they have to then go to a security vendor, uh, a standalone security vendor, to work with the application vendor's product, uh, if you know what I'm saying. And I think I think it's interesting that they're demanding that more, that security be something that every vendor has to have, regardless of what their uh, specialty is. Yeah, uh, we we see that you know even more in vendors that have not been traditional IT vendors and they're building products that may be, you know, new IoT products. And so they've built out whatever the product might be for a long time. It could be something that would be in a physical office space or it could be, uh, you know, something, some new IoT sensor that's going to collect data. Uh, But if they're not a traditional IT vendor, then they don't have a good traditional understanding of cybersecurity and where some of the pitfalls might be. And so they have to be thinking about it. And, uh, and I think that's a really important thing for the vendors of these products to be pushing. And then that also kind of leads into something that for me jumped out on the MSP side. So looking at what makes a successful managed service provider or a successful partner in this larger network that's happening, there were three things in stage three that kind of jumped out at me and I, I put them all together. So it was around, you know, MSPs should be developing their own proprietary IP. Mm-hmm. They should have industry and vertical expertise and they should actively work to anticipate the needs of their customers. We've talked a lot about uh, MSPs, partners, not just selling products, they should sell solutions. I think that that terminology has even gotten twisted a little bit where, you know, an MSP will say, well, I, I'm selling an entire email solution, but it really, after you peel it back, it's still just the product. What I think about more, and I think what we were trying to get to with that product versus solution distinction was system thinking. So I, I'm not just selling a product, but that product has to fit into an overall system. And that gets it back to security. Security has to be around, wrapped around this entire thing. And especially as we have emerging technology coming in, as technology footprints are getting more complex and companies are wanting to automate more of the process, it's really becoming important to understand what that larger system is. And and that's something that I feel I don't see a lot in MSPs that have maybe been selling product for a long time and they've been very successful at that. And they continue to be successful at that because people still need products. But the, the world is beginning to move towards not just having products that stand alone, but everything tied together into a system. Yeah, I agree. I actually singled out exactly those same things that you just put together here out of stage three. And yeah, there is there is a need and it's not fully realized yet among uh, MSPs and, and partners in general to think in that sort of systematic, holistic kind of way around. And as we 
become more digital and what we do and what customers are demanding, they do need to think that way. It is, I mean, of course they do sell product and they do sell services, but it's thinking about how all of those things work together. And I think we are seeing some of the more savvy partners are beginning to develop their own proprietary IP. And that's one of the things that helps tie some of these solutions together. Uh, so, and by, you know, by that, it doesn't mean that they're developing their own product necessarily, but it might be some piece of code that they developed. It might be a process that they will then do repeatedly, uh, customer to customer that really was their own and they built it. And, and that's critical. And I think as you see more products on premise, workloads in the cloud, various vendors on the back end, and MSP needs to be able to make sense of all of those things and put them together in a way that they look like they're just one well-packaged item for a customer and then be able to manage that. And and I, I don't know that all MSPs are there yet. In fact, I don't know that many are there yet. And I think that the, that's the, if we look ahead to 2019 and 2020, I mean, that's the place that they need to be. And I think the one thing I wanted to single out is that customers are really looking for uh, and you did too, a provider who understands their business and and provides consulting around their business and not necessarily simply the technology. So they're the maestros on the back end of tying all this technology together and seeing how it works together and making sure um, that it is a holistic, systematic approach, as you've said before. But on the front end, they're really talking to the customer about how it's going to solve their business problems or help them with their business, business outcomes and how it works with the particular vertical industry that they might be in. So, you know, where this manufacturing application is going to help you do X. Uh, so it's complicated. I, I mean, I've been in the channel for a long time, and the days of just reselling hardware are, you know, that people still resell hardware, but now it's got to be resold with the thought of how it's going to tie into this, this, and this. And it involves a different level of thinking, and uh, and and I think that that's going to be a challenge for a lot of channel firms going forward, as they try to have the right skills mindset uh, to go in and be able to serve customers that are a lot more demanding today in terms of business. To be fair, if we're talking about what customers are demanding out of their MSPs, I would say that this system thinking isn't necessarily a, a strong suit of customers either, especially as customers are starting to, you know, have business units that are driving technology procurement. I think, you know, a CIO or someone in an IT department understands the entire system and how things need to integrate. We see over and over again that the business units don't understand that. So they just come at it thinking, I need a product to help me do this job. And the, the IT department then steps in and says, yeah, but that product has to tie into everything else. Uh, and, and so I don't think that the system thinking is a huge driver there, but it's something that both groups need to be thinking about more and more as they're moving forward and if you know as the customer starts to think about it more hopefully the msps are kind of a step ahead of them and able to anticipate that need yeah well actually then it plays into the fact that the msp can play the educating role right right so and that can be a differentiator for them is that you know instead of being dragged in by the customer go in and help the customer understand this is what you need and this is how we can help you. And we see a push-pull a lot in some of the data that, um, especially in my State of the Channel study, is that you really want to see the partner being the one who leads with the expertise and the education and the awareness, helping the customer 
make decisions as opposed to the customer who may not actually be fully informed, as you just said, but has this tiny bit of knowledge, which we know a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous as opposed to really understanding what's going on. So the customer with that tiny little bit of da- potentially dangerous knowledge is making demands on, on a partner. And if the partner's not completely fully informed themselves, that could be you know a, a dangerous kind of situation. Uh, so I think if you're a smart partner, you get fully educated on all the things we've been talking about, and then you can become, you know, you you then are the the expert who goes in and tells the customer what they need. Right. Anything else jump out at you on the MSP list? On the MSP list, uh, let's see. A couple of things, I guess, on the business side. Offering a broad range of as-a-service products, that always jumps out to me because that's the key to profitability and differentiation. So the typical... Run-of-the-mill MSP will offer network monitoring and management, um, you know, security and patch management and those sort of things, and and remote monitoring. But if you really want to move up the scale uh, and make more money as an MSP, uh, it's important to become someone who offers not just those basic infrastructure type things as a service, but also getting into applications. And we've talked about this quite a bit. So moving up the stack and beginning to offer things even as broad as, as or as sophisticated as analytics as a service, then some of the more emerging techs as a service. And I think that's been a bit of a, a, a hill to climb for a lot of MSPs. So it's going to require some re-education, some retraining and investment in getting up to speed on some of the types of services that are above the infrastructure stack, so to speak. Um, so that stuck out to me. And and then the other one is is having an inside sales team. That sounds like such a no-brainer, but a lot of MSPs do not. And one thing about managed services is de- uh, demand gen and business development are critical. Unlike when you sell transactionally products, if you're selling a lot of hardware to someone, you can have a big deal, a one huge deal where you've upgraded an entire company's you know, desktops or whatever it is they're using, and you get a nice paycheck and all your salespeople get a big compensation check. In managed services, the you don't make money right out of the gate. You have got to ramp up volume of customers, and that's the key to the game is getting as many customers as you can because in the beginning, you're not going to get big checks from anybody. You're putting these people on contracts, and they're paying you an incremental amount but on a monthly basis. So it's so critical for you to have those front-end people that are doing demand generation and business development, that inside sales team, to be constantly constantly getting you new customers if you're especially if you're new into the msp space that that's critically important volume matters so much more in the msp space because of the way the business model is structured for recurring revenue than it does in the old world of just selling these giant upgrades of products and building that volume actually may be the the stronger opportunity for MSPs than trying to figure out what new product lines there are. I th- I think a lot of what I have seen, you know, out of our membership when the discussions that we have uh, out there in the industry, people are looking for new product lines to sell, and that's how they believe they're going to grow. Uh, and and a lot of these new things coming down aren't ready to be products yet, and and customers aren't quite asking for them yet. But I believe that the reality is that. For as many companies out there that are using a partner in some way, uh, there are a lot of companies that might not be. And there are a lot of companies that are using a partner that might not be using them strategically yet. And so as we're in this phase of digital transformation and companies are trying to figure out 
how to use technology more strategically, how to balance resources between internal resources and external resources, then growing that volume and growing the base of your customer, aside from having new products to sell, might be a bigger opportunity than some people are thinking of. No, that's the beauty of managed services is that, you know, get on board a customer with the basics and then you get, then you have a menu of offerings that you can continue to scale them up because they sign a contract with you. So they're on a contract for a year or whatever it is. You've got them on a basic network monitoring type of contract. And then as you are able to add those more high level services, you just sell you, you you're able to then sell to your existing customer base. They're already locked into you. Most customers on a contract do not bail and leave and go for the you know the exit strategy that you have in the SLA unless you are screwing up really badly. Um, so because it's a pain to change providers and all of that. So they usually stick around. So you get them signed up. So that's where you get your volume. Keep signing people up, signing people up. And then as you get the expertise or as a new product is fully baked and you're able to offer it, then you go ahead and then your salespeople can go into your existing accounts and sell to them and scale them up and you can you know then you can adjust what you're charging them so that that's that's actually the the, the pure beauty of of managed services if it works well mm. Well, uh, there's a lot of good information in here. We're not going to cover all of it. And like I said before, I think that some other groups are looking at this in either how to publish this information or how to incorporate this information into some of the member activities that we're doing. So I, I would expect that we'll see bits and pieces of this uh, throughout the next few months. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've done uh, extensive managed services research here at CompTIA. We haven't done a study in in uh, over a year now. We may do another one in 2019. That remains to be seen. But uh, but some of the research that what that was most recently done in 2016 is still is still valid and still has some good points. So for those of you um, uh, who are interested in that, uh, please take a look. All right. Well, uh, with that. I think uh, the next step for both of us is some time off. Yes, enjoy very much. Well, um, I think the next time we are podcasting is after Thanksgiving then. So have a very happy Thanksgiving and I will see you on the other side of that. Happy Thanksgiving to you. All right, take care. Bye.